at Will What Ice Pops Have You Got? My name is Matthew Kroll. And children are a crushing responsibility. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film The Lost Daughter. Uh, after our last week's episode on directorial debuts with uh, Josh Horowitz, we're back again with another directorial debut, and we are very fortunate to be joined by someone who will be making their television debut shortly. Returning to the show, we are thrilled to have back Melissa Helfers. How are you? I am good. How are you guys? Good. Well, it's uh, it's been an exciting time for you. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I imagine a roller coaster. There are headlines written about things that you are working about the uh, working on these days. Uh, you of course joined us uh, the last time we spoke to you was about uh, OJ versus America, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, Melissa is also one of those incredibly uh, multi-dexterous people who is uh, formerly a lawyer, but now a, a very, very successful screenwriter. Uh, and the last time we spoke to you, I believe you'd been you were pitching shows. Things were kind of in the works, but things have changed since uh, since the last time we spoke. How what's been happening? I'm trying to remember when when it was that we spoke. A lot has happened. Um, it it was pre-pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. OJ roamed free. World for everybody, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, the most exciting thing professionally that's happening is that a show I created is going to be premiering on Fox in September. Um, so that's fun. That's like a big musical, um, Oh. I've watched the trailer. So the show is called Monarch. Yes. And it's a country, it, it, like, as far as I can tell, I, I don't know a lot about the show, but it's country music uh, dynasty or something of the sort. Yes. Um, I mean, maybe, I, I hate to put you on the spot here, but what's the elevator pitch? No, no. I mean, the elevator pitch is, um, what if the Romanoff dynasty was reimagined as a family of country stars in uh, Austin, Texas? Nice. Oh, wow. And it stars Susan Sarandon, Trace Adkins, and Anna Friel. Um, so it's like a dream cast. Yeah. And yeah. No, it's, uh, it's, it's super fun and exciting. And I love soapy drama and family dynasties and I love country music. So it's, uh, it's, it's all good. That's great. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I remember seeing the trailer, uh, before I knew even that you, uh, were attached to it. And then oh. I, I, and I was like, Ooh, neat. And then I was like, Oh, neat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They didn't put me in the trailer. I don't know. Why. Yeah. What the hell? Yeah, I mean, Talk to someone about right? that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, I mean, what? Uh, so, like I said, uh, when we last spoke to you, you were kind of pitching things. What? What's kind of been the the biggest learning curve? I guess like from pitching and kind of you know speaking things out to to actually having putting something on the air. What? What's like? What's the thing? That's an amazing question, and I like it's like how much time do you have? I've learned so much. Um, the the process of developing Monarch has taken a long time, in part because of the delays of COVID and the way the world has changed. Um, And when I sold the project, you know, I had sold a bunch of TV shows here and there, and they never kind of moved forward. Um, And this one felt special from the beginning and seemed like something that was going to happen. And then basically, I mean, the long and short of it is like a pilot was allegedly going to be ordered, I believe it's true, in March of 2020. Right. Um, Right. And that didn't happen obviously for obvious reasons and yeah. but the, but the um, network felt you know strongly about the project and were behind it and didn't want to lose all the momentum so they had me write episode two um, and then we put a writer's room together and so like we were kind of like doing things as best we could and and making things move forward behind the scenes without production happening right. um, so finally production started happening this past 
fall, I guess last September, um, we started shooting. So learning curve wise for me, I mean, I have been, as you said, you know, sort of hustling and trying to sell projects and, and creating things since, um, God, for 12 years or so. Right. Um, and have been selling things and have been, you know, developing, but nothing has been made other than a short I made myself. Um, so Fantastic I, short, by the way, blasphemy, you can see it on YouTube or Vimeo. Thank you. Yes, yes, yes. I can, I can send you a link. It's, uh, it's fun. <laughs> um, but this is a very different scale of production than that of was. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think the biggest learning curve for me was just like how things actually get made. And so now when I sit down to write a script, I think about like, wait, how many locations is this going to be? And how many people are there? You know, this is going to take a really long time to shoot. This is a big scene. Um, and when I say big scene, like we're talking on my show about like big musical sequences and huge arenas. And again, we're, we're doing that in a pandemic when people aren't supposed to be gathered. So um, I think just there's a whole added layer of complexity. I mean, I kind of long for the days when I was just writing in a vacuum and I could dream yeah. as big as I wanted. I still like to write that way, but I do know now that like there's going to be, you know, the, the piper has to be paid. In terms right. of I imagine once Susan Sarandon appears on the call sheet as well is a, is a pretty surreal moment. I mean, when she, so, so when we first, we had to cast over zoom, which is, you know, um, and you know, the part is the queen of country music. So like, it has to be somebody that can yeah. Yeah. elevate that, you know, carry that. And there like, really aren't that many people that can. And she's like literally the first person, um, that I would want. And she, she shows up on zoom, like super like sexy and chill yeah, in her living course. room. Yeah. And I was just like, I mean, when you say surreal, like it really was surreal. And she started asking me questions about that. She was like, giving me shit, like giving me <laughs> Uh, give me shit about the character because her character does some crazy things, um, which I cop to, and I yeah. just loved her from the first from the first moment. And yes, and then when she showed up on screen, uh, sorry, when she showed up on set, um, the first time I met her, it was, um, you know, it's like a dream come true. It is. It's, it's, okay. There were so many moments that were dreams come true. I mean, the other one to your question about the learning curve, and I know we want to talk about the movie. So um, no, 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 no. I, we can spend, you know, yeah. Maggie Gyllenhaal doesn't need the priest. So just keep going. The great thing about, the great <laughs> so, thing about podcasts is we're behooven to no one. Like, it's true. Yeah. It's yeah. true. I mean, the, the thing that, that is crazy as a writer is um, I had, I had written in, this doesn't spoil anything that, mm -hmm. you know, there's this giant portrait of Dottie, the queen of country music in their living room. And um, it like kind of became real for me when I got it. I think it was a text from the director of the pilot saying, you know, asking me questions about exactly what that portrait looks like because they were hiring an artist and having a photographer take a photo of Susan in her home to send to the artist to paint the portrait so that it could be. And I was like, I made up something that like is yeah. going to be like sent to Susan Sarandon's home to make a portrait of her how I want it. Like it's, it's, it's so crazy. Crazy. I love I love interconnected small tiny stories like that when it comes to like because that's just something you probably when you wrote it you're like oh this is a neat detail yeah. It, yeah, that, that sort of sets the scene and now <laughs> it's like fifteen people's jobs and it's like <laughs> I, I I've had a very it's unbelievable and I've now a it's a real thing like there's a yeah. portrait I've had a very small moment like that which is that I wrote a scene with uh, uh, an explosion. And and suddenly, like you're on set, and there are all these people asking you about the nature of that explosion. And you're like, oh, this was just this dumb thing. Like I wrote it in one line, <laughs> and and suddenly it's like a it's a you totally. know there's so many people involved. I, I so I, that 
that portrait, I'm sure that portrait is, uh, is it everything you imagined it was? It's stunning. It's, by the way, we, we, we did it and redid it. Like it was, uh, the portrait had to be perfect because it does hang in a very prominent place for the whole, hopefully like the series. Um, and it's iconic and she's iconic. That's the whole, you know, she's the queen of country music. So it has to be the portrait she would want in her home. Um, and bizarrely, like only I know what that looks like because I mean, so it's a wild feeling. That's Can I ask you another question, just maybe a film-related question? When you were writing the show, or even as you went into production, we, were there any um, uh, country music movies? Because I, as I you know, started putting together my notes, I was thinking about uh, Robert Altman's Nashville. Yeah. And I realized this is, in fact, in, related to one of the actors that are on the movie that we're talking about, Jess Buckley's film, Wild Rose, as well. Yeah. Was there, like... Was there any kind of reference points that you were thinking about cinematically as you were putting together the show? That's a great question. And, um, you know, for sure there are like these iconic movies like Nashville and Walk the Line that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, loom large. But this is um, a female take, a female driven Mm -hmm. take. Um, So the look is very different and much less sort of like dusty and Western and much more glamorous and... Um, delicious. Mm-hmm. So m- my references were more things like, you know, Succession, The Crown, um, Empire, gotcha. like just really like Crazy Rich Asians, like yeah. just beautiful, colorful um, worlds like that. And the country music kind of speaks for itself. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I love fact- the, I mean, by the way, I love the movies you're referencing. No, but but from the trailer, actually, what you're describing is is a much more apt re- uh, set of references than uh, than Nashville or or Wild Rose or, or even um, Walk the Line. Um, that's fantastic. And then you've been working on other features as well. Uh, I know potentially one of the actors that we're talking about you may be working with shortly or possibly so, in the near future. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, so um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> so so I I wrote a feature um, that sold to Amazon with Dakota Johnson, who will, who's amazing in the movie we're going to talk about. Um, attached, um, and she was great. But Amazon has changed their mandate, and um, Ted Hope was the person there who ran their sort of indie film yeah. division. Former Yellow Films, right? Yeah. He left. Yeah. Um, and so the, the, the movie is not going to go forward there. I hope there's going to be a future life for it. But at the moment, I can't tell you what that is. I, it's honestly, it's a movie project that's the closest to my heart. Um, oh. I love that. I love that script. Um, and it's meaningful. But, um, you know, telling people it's meaningful doesn't necessarily get it sold, get it made. <laughs> right. But well, it's still, it feels it's like. Meaningful. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like, I mean, it, uh, Whenever a project, something I think that might be, well, I don't know if this is uh, specific to the entertainment industry, uh, but like there's so many like amazing steps forward that then can just like, oh, wait, this random thing. Nope, sorry. And it's like, oh, oh, come on. Uh, I'm sure that there's other things. It's just, those are the ones I've experienced too. So, but, but normally, I mean, again, it's like, it's probably like a couple years later than you want, but it'll, it'll happen. It'll go forward. I hope so. I mean, it, listen, um, this show hopefully will be big, which will hopefully raise the profile of other things I've done too, which I, you know, we do, we do our best. Yeah. 
High well, tide. it sounds like it's been uh, an exciting last few years, despite uh, a global pandemic. Uh, and uh, we will see Monarch on Fox uh, shortly. Uh, I know there's been a delay recently, but... Uh, September. But You'll see it in September. We, 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 we actually were hoping that the timing of this uh, episode was going to release with the launch of uh, Monarch, you know, just coincidentally. But there has been a delay recently, and obviously that uh, can't be helped. Um, but uh, we know not by, not by anybody on this call. <laughs> we'll just we'll just hold this episode till September. We'll hold yeah. it till September. <laughs> we can all come back. I'm sure there'll be a movie yeah. in September we want to talk about. There will well, be movies. Yes, there will be plenty of movies. And I, this was really fortunate because uh, so the way this uh, getting you back on the show came about is you were tweeting about the Lost Order, which I which got me really excited to see it because I hadn't seen it at that point. Oh, and so just before I even saw it, I just kind of reached out to you and said, Hey, do you want to come on come on the show and talk about it? I know I'd kind of want to talk about it um and i'm really excited that you uh agreed to join us um could you matt maybe before we get started tell us what the the lost daughter is about oh well of course and and i i can't take credit for the line that i will be saying of course this comes from uh our, the powers on high at the internet movie database which describes the lost daughter as a woman's beach vacation takes a dark turn when she begins to confront the troubles of her past of course sounds right mm. accurate Accurate. Um, this movie, wow! I I did. I went in cold. Didn't watch the trailer. Just knew that uh, Melissa, you were psyched about it. And then she was like, "Oh, we're doing this thing," and I was like, "Great, done." <laughs> so, um, was not expecting the um, how do I put it? The internal mind trip that, <laughs> that I went on when when I uh, when I was finished watching this thing. This is a uh, this is a complex emotional ride, far more complex than that IMDb description would allow. But again, I'm glad that they don't, you know, spoil things. But yeah. Um, well, so the, that description makes it sound like it's a thriller where mm, it's like a murder mystery. Like, yeah. ooh, someone turns up dead on the beach and she has to solve it or something. Which is weird because if you think about it, it kind of, the first yeah. three minutes, starts like that. Yeah. Like, she's on the beach there's a there's a there's a mark on her some kind of a little bit of blood or something yeah. and then she falls over and you're like what yeah uh, so I going in that's kind of the vibe I think I, I I imagine that was intentional um that I was going in with I was like oh man this is gonna be like a thriller yeah and it's not <laughs> I, don't, I don't know look I was pretty uh on the edge of my seat at the location of a certain doll during this movie um <laughs> uh, so, Melissa, what got you excited about this movie? Uh, well, the very first thing, first of all, I'm a, I'm a fan of Maggie Gyllenhaal as an actress. Um, mm -hmm. And so I was intrigued to see what she, what her vision was as a director. Um, and Olivia Coleman like, could read the phone book and I would sit and watch it. Yeah. Um, which for some parts of this movie. Um, <laughs> she does. face <laughs> was about like a phone book, but with yeah. such incredible nuance on her face that like I was in. Um so that, you know, that was, you know, um, that was it. That was it. I mean, what would, we're, we're, uh, after watching it, I, this is a, a, um, a sort of personal take on it as well, but like as a, as a father watching this mm. movie, as, uh, as someone who has a child, I, there was a certain level of awareness I had about the emotional journey that these characters were going on. And I imagine as a parent yourself, that may have been resonant as well. But I mean, you know, how did you, like, what, what did you think of the movie? It's such a good question. I My immediate reaction was that I loved it. 
And knowing that I was going to do this, I've now thought about it a lot more. And I still loved it. I mean, I think my my admiration for it, um, the, the my greatest point of admiration for it is how unapologetically mm. it portrays a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, she's the main character. She's not a side character. And she has ugly sides to her character. I mean, perhaps more ugly than positive. Um, and as someone who, I mean, also is a woman and a mother and balancing career and, and three kids and all of that, but also as someone in the business who all of my, I think almost, almost all of my projects have, you know, a strong woman at the center. And the note I always get is they used to say, make her likable, but now the code is make her relatable. Mm, And, but, but what they mean by relatable is likable. Like they mean, make sure people feel like they can, they still want to root for her. And what I loved about this movie is, I mean, it's very hard to root for her because all you see is her, um, like, doing weird and sort of mean-spirited things and things that are hard, leaving children and having an affair and things that are not um, things that the kind of person most people would root for. Um, but I still really cared about her. Yeah. Um, and I felt she was so human. And I think that most people don't have all of those qualities, but everybody has some ugly qualities. Yeah. And so, you know, embracing that and getting to live in that um, and caring about her, even if I, if you're not rooting for her. I, I mean, I just found it really interesting and um, and just a, an amazing ride. I, I love the movie. There, there's one moment in the film where uh, someone asks her to move from one beach chair to the next. And it's a simple request. And and you know the the point of view of the movie is that it's not an unreasonable request, but but uh, Coleman's character Lita kind of make, put kind of draws a line in the sand there very clearly, which is that like I am not going to be doing, I am not moving, I'm perfectly fine where I am. And there was a part of me that was like, yeah, fucking own it, <laughs> you know. Coleman, it's, yeah. it's yeah. Uh, can I just say as a woman yeah. who literally would always move her seat. Of course, anybody, and would apologize that I had been had the audacity yeah. to choose a seat that someday someone else could ever want to sit in. Yeah, um, it was a wish fulfillment moment. Like I literally thought when she says, "No, I'm not going to move." Yeah, and they were like, "What a bitch!" I was like, "I wish I could be that bitch." Like that's amazing and good for her. She's on a vacation by herself. Fuck them for. I I, I, I know it's a strange thing to say wish fulfillment, but I I definitely felt like it was empowering. Here's she yeah. was unapologetic about about her selfishness, which I think in a way is something that the movie explores. Doesn't she say at some point, I'm so selfish or I'm... Yeah, really- I, there, there are two key lines towards the end of the movie that I think we can talk about in relation to the question marks at the end of the movie. But yeah, that that moment for me when she was just like, no, I'm not, you know, no, I'm fine. Because the, I, I, you know, she's approached on a beach. Uh, so in the she, she's a she's a, a visiting um uh um literary translator who's also a professor who is on a greek beach uh you know by herself um holiday and, and it's idyllic for the mo- for the first couple of scenes where there's nobody around and i was like as a pandemic uh as now a child of a pandemic there's nothing that excites me more than like the idea of like having an entire beach to oneself oh my god and that paradise is immediately ruined by a no less than a group of people from queens new york <laughs> from. You're um, welcome. We're very attractive, though. A good-looking. Yeah. Um, 
So I, when she, when she makes a stand and says, no, I will not move. I was so excited. And like, just as an overall thing about this movie, I, I will say I was absolutely riveted from frame one. And I think it has to do with Olivia Coleman and Maggie Gyllenhaal's direction. Um, it, it's that quality that's really hard to pitch, I think, which is that you want someone to just sit in stillness and, and trust that the audience will find it interesting. And Coleman is mesmerizing in every scene that she's in because she's one of those people that can just do nothing and be interesting. There's a, I, I think the, the last few films, you know, like she's, she's obviously won her Oscar for the favorite. Um, and she was in the father, which we reviewed recently as well. Mm -hmm. And I love her in these movies that are, that require her to kind of give bigger performances. There's just one part of me that like, I, I Coleman came up in Edgar Wright's comedies and, 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 uh, you know, a lot of that. So, you know, like British comedies and she is, hysterically funny um and and i i like I'm, I'm just hoping that all this clout that she's getting as oscar winner olivia coleman will allow her to do uh, uh some grand comedy because she's so she, she's just one of those people that has that kind of amazing timing that gift of timing that that very few people have i could see her winning an oscar for this if people watch yeah. it yeah yeah i i i 100 agree um, she, she's mesmerizing. The film is mesmerizing. There, there are things about this that we can talk about in spoilers that are question marks, but they're question marks in the way that, that made me go, this is a film that is exploring an undiscussed part of parenting. Um, that, that makes me go, well, if, if this is not my experience, my experience as a parent makes me go that everyone's experience is different and, and therefore there should be room in the conversation for everybody's experience. But I, as I watched this movie there, I, I remember like, and Melissa, you, you have three kids. Is that right? Um, I, I feel like I'm cheating as a parent because I only have one child. And I feel like whenever I talk to parents who have like more than one child, I'm like, I don't know how you do that because this one is like taking up too much space. You all got me beat. Right I, I have an eighth of a child in a cat. Like it's not, <laughs> it's, and it's not a competition. Cause it's not uh, a competition. Yeah. But I recall like for me in my life, there were two, two defining moments of fatherhood. Um, one was, I, I remember the moment that I felt like I was a father for the first time, which was that it, it was right after delivery <laughs> and we were in the, in the hospital, uh, in the, in the recovery room. Uh, and you know, we, my son had managed to actually go to sleep for a little bit. And, mm -hmm. and so my wife went to sleep. And so I was like, sort of just, you know, hovering on sleep and the nurse came in to wake up my son because they wanted to, you know, check his vitals and all that sort of stuff. And he started crying and I, and like this rage grew inside of me at the nurse for waking him up. And I was like, I suddenly, I was like, Oh, Oh, okay. I'm invested in this child's like, uh, feelings right now. And like to a point where I will murder anybody who like interferes with his sleep or with like anything that will get in the way of, of his life. That was like the moment I knew I was I, like, I felt like I was a dad murder chemistry. But then a few weeks later, which is, I think something closer to what this movie is exploring was this moment. And I don't know if this is true for every parent, but it's something that's in this movie was this moment I had. And, and I was lucky to have it with my wife and we were kind of, um, we, we sort of almost had it together. And I don't know if you've had this moment as well, but this moment where you're like with your child and you realize this is the, and it's, this is over, over exaggerating what it is, but you suddenly feel like this is the totality of your life at this moment where mm -hmm. you're like, Oh, Oh, and, and a panic button goes off in your brain where you're like, Oh God, this is it. The, like I, my job now is to look after this child and there's nothing else I can do. And there's a part of, there's a little part of you that goes, what if I just ran? 
And what if I just walked away? And and you're like, you know, you just sort of think about it because you're like suddenly in this position where you can't walk away. And the the thing that I was really excited about by this movie is that that, to, to me, in, anyway, in my experience, this movie was kind of like putting a circle around that emotion or that feed, that moment and exploring the totality of that moment to uh, to to a really large extent. And I um, this is based on a novel by Elena Fittura. Uh, Fittura? Uh, I'm going to pronounce that wrong. Um, Ferrante. Uh, Elena Ferrante, sorry, uh, who amazingly has managed to live her life entirely as an anonymous author. Um, famously, I think, has written uh, My Brilliant Friend, which is also a show. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Neapolitan novels um, is what she's most famous for. But this idea about this moment where... It's either being a parent or maybe choosing not to be a parent. And I, I, I was really struck by how powerful, uh, A, how, how beautifully Gyllenhaal captures the, the sort of roller coaster of emotions that that moment is and just the, everything around that, that idea. Um, and how skillfully, you know, obviously as a, as, as a great actress, she, she's amazing with actors. Um, but uh, I, I was struck by how thoughtfully the film kind of explored that at all angles. So uh, I, you know, as a sort of overall blanket, I was really struck by how well this movie uh, takes this little tiny sliver of a moment that I felt like I had uh, and extrapolated it out and put it on the big screen. Um, Matt, uh, I mean, you know, what your overall impressions as you watch the movie? Oh, um, I am a sucker for a few things. The first and foremost, Olivia Coleman. We've we've yeah. gone over that. That's easy. Uh, but secondly, weirdly enough, even beyond the subject matter uh, of the film itself, the cinematography, like, mm-hmm. actually was the first thing that got me real interested. And I will say, look, I like I like the way all different types of movies are shot. Right. I would say the style of this cinematography from uh, Helena Louvart. L- L- I might. Mm-hmm. I'm probably butchering that uh, director of cinematography here. Um, this style of like close up a little bit uh, out of focus, then come in like very handheld is the kind of style that I find is the hardest for me to latch onto as a movie goer. Like it's like the barrier to entry for me to get that like clink into the movie is, is higher. And the second I was just enjoying it and then I realized, oh, it's this style that I don't normally easily enjoy. I was like, oh, okay, I'm here now. Uh, so that was really lovely. Um, also, I am a sucker for any movie that wants to take a completely normal part of human existence that mainstream media does not normally discuss and throw it to the forefront. Because, look, we all grew up watching (laughs) everything, but, like, (laughs) the, the narrative of parenthood is not the difficulties. Like, you see difficulties most of the time in comedies. No, I was going to say, I had, so I have a comedy um, that it's called Mommy Rehab about an exhausted mm-hmm. mother free who fakes her way into rehab to get a break from her children. So it's sort of this story with a different spin. Yeah. That's, um, hopefully going to get shot this year. Um, but but even the notes on that, um, do you guys remember Kramer versus Kramer? Yes. Yeah. It's yeah. French in a movie. And the, what'd you say? The best French toast scene in a movie. Oh, yes. yes exactly. <laughs> exactly. But I remember getting the note on Mommy Rehab that, like, 
you know, if a mother leaves her children, it's unforgivable. Yeah. So like you really need to earn that. Um, and in Kramer versus Kramer, spoiler, yeah. she, she leaves. Um, of course, it's complicated, like all these situations are. But, it, you know, this movie is unapologetically about a woman who leaves her children. I, yeah. mean, it's, I, I don't know if that's a statement about the times or um, the fact that, you know, women were allowed to tell the story. Yeah. Well, um, I love that there was a female DP. I didn't know that. And I'm not surprised. Yeah. It, it, Helena Lovert also shot a film that we loved on the show. Uh, never sometimes, re never really, sometimes always. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which uh, has a similar aesthetic, which I think is. Oh, I want to work with her. Let's put that oh, out. She's, yeah. Well, you could make it happen at this point. So um, she's wonderful. <laughs> I, I think um, we, we should. You know, we should actually get into spoilers here because there's a lot right. of question marks around this movie. So let's open up the conversation to kind of freely discuss it. But if, at this point for our listeners, if you haven't seen the movie, I think we've, we've got a glowing recommendation. It's an easy watch. It's on Netflix right now. Um, so, you know, without a doubt, please go see it. But it's we easy get into to watch it. I won't call it an easy watch. And that's not a derogatory thing of the movie. It's it's it, it challenges a lot of things. And uh, this is not something, this is not red notice. This is I, not. I, I will say. The pace is slow. Yeah. It is slow, but I will say, like I have found would. myself in the pandemic being, like before the pandemic, I was much more movies are sacred. And, and when I sit down to watch a movie, it is a, I am, I am here to watch the movie. I'm, you know, all distractions are out of my life. It is about the movie. And I found myself in during the pandemic and, you know, as life has changed over the last two, few years and we've lived at home, I am much more susceptible to like picking up my phone when a movie lulls uh, for a moment, you know, what have you. How dare and, you? Yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah. <laughs> this was not one of those experiences for me. So when I say an easy watch, I was riveted from frame right. one to the end. And I was like, <laughs> I, it was one of those movies for me where I forgot that time existed. Yeah. If that no, makes sense. No, I, sorry. I, I wanted to make it clear because so, sometimes easy watch can come as a different thing that I think this movie delivers. Um, <laughs> no, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's not guardians of the galaxy where it's no. like, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And in many ways, it would be improved by Groot um, wandering around in the background. <laughs> but Christ. just, you know, <laughs> by the by. So I want to talk. So so as the movie goes on, we discover Lita has um, uh, there's, there's a sort of mystery around Lita because the question mark of the uh, is in the title, which is this lost daughter. And there's a scene teased at the beginning where Lita, uh, well, where Dakota Johnson's character loses her child and Lita helps find it. But this triggers a memory in her of having potentially lost your child. And while we presume that, that maybe this is a film about a mother who is uh, on vacation by herself because she lost a child or something at some point in her life, it turns out to be something uh, much more complicated than that, which is that the, the, the triggering of the memory then opens up the, the sort of further memories of, of her past as a young, you know, as a mother of two young children and the decisions that she makes um, to eventually, as we learned throughout the course of the film, to eventually leave those children for a short, for uh, a few years. Three years, I believe. Uh, three years yeah. after having an affair with uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal's husband, uh, Peter Sarsgaard. <laughs> He's amazing in this. Yeah. So sexy. Like, has anyone yeah. worn a beard and open shirt as sexy as he has at this point? Well, by the way, in terms of making it relatable, like any woman's like, I totally get it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was on this. I was the same thing, which was I was like, I totally get it. But then at the same time, I was like, I there's just a part of me imagining Maggie Gyllenhaal behind the camera saying, 
now unbutton her blouse. Or, and at the know. same time, it's weird to direct your husband in a sex scene with another woman, a beautiful woman. like ooh. A beautiful woman. And also, like, to do it with, like, such... There's a little gravitas and detail to that scene, which is that it's not just a seduction about like making out. It's also like I worship you kind of thing, and yeah. it's like you're amazing. And it was like, um, yeah, my hats off to her. I couldn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's part of the amazing direction of this film. And then um, there, there's this kind of uh, counter narrative to to what Dakota Johnson's character is going through, and this this presumption that I think most movies have, or you know, most movies will imply, as you kind of said, that, that a mother can never leave her children. So in order for a mother to leave her child, you have to earn it. Or what I thought was interesting in this movie is not understanding it fully, but accepting it as part of who Lita's character is. Mm. And, and that is the journey. In a weird way, what I think is kind of remarkable about this film is the film is not taking us on a journey through Lita's life. Uh, the film is asking the audience to take the journey. And to come to an understanding, because in many ways, because of the structure of the movie, Lita's already done this, you know, like the, the, the journey has already happened and she has no, like, like you said, uh, Melissa, there's no remorse about it. It's unapologetic. It's, 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 you know, like this is, or this is a, a part of who she is. The film is asking the audience to, to come to that, uh, even if we don't necessarily understand it. And I think that's what's such a, you know, a beautiful piece of writing and filmmaking in terms of uh, Gyllenhaal's direction um, uh, and trust in the audience. But there are some, but I do have some questions. Um, really, that do have to do with the a lot of the final act and perhaps how this all turns out. But I, I guess what I'm curious from both of your points of view is, what did we make of this character who we were, you know, kind of rooting for and excited for when she drew a line in the sand and said, you know, no, I will not move for you, to suddenly being the woman who had stolen a, a, a child's doll. Like, how did that uh, work for you? As someone who's stolen many dolls from children. <laughs> yes. Um, I'll go first. Uh, it's confusing. I mean, what I think it does, the film does such a good job of, and part of this, as you guys both said, is the directing. Like, you're, it's so intimate. You're feeling what she's feeling. But mm -hmm. it's unexpected because it's not necessarily what you would feel. And if you did, you'd feel uncomfortable about it because it's um, kind of dark. Um her, so her stealing the doll, I, I will say, I, I, I'm not saying this is a flaw. I love the movie. So I, I and I also don't like to um, pick people's choices apart, but the doll did sort of set up almost to me like the, a thriller aspect that didn't necessarily mm -hmm. pay off in that, in that way. Mm -hmm. um, it was much more psycho, like, cause the way the music was and everything, she steals the doll and they're all looking for the doll and it looks like there's going to be a huge explosion about it. I mean, in the end there is, um, a confrontation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it has a, it does have a payoff. Um, yeah. I, I, it's so interesting. I still don't totally understand how I feel about Lita, but what I will say is watching her journey and what she does with the doll. I mean, what, what Maggie Gyllenhaal does such an incredible job of setting up is um, how emotionally complex her, her world is and how, um, how it is for, for a woman who is so, she, she set up Lita as this incredibly professionally successful, like in this very um, specific academic intellectual world and being with kids alone all day is like sort of the opposite. Oh and you see gosh. that, you see that yeah. with her, with her kids. They're just like, Hey mommy, mommy. It's, it's the exact opposite of um, 
what she's doing and the respect she commands in a in a big room with you know Peter Sarsgaard or whatever. Um, so you kind of understand the desperation that she has, and that stealing the doll is an act of desperation. Yeah. Um, so so you it's weird and it's not nice. No. Like who steals a child's? And then the kid, you see the kid crying for days about this doll, which is like, I mean, seriously, can't yeah. get over the doll. Yeah. But it's a doll. <laughs> It's oh. your parents who go on vacation to Greece, like they get <laughs> another freaking doll. But, um, but it's not supposed to be okay that she stole the doll. No. It's really fucked up. I, I found, so I never was rooting for uh, Lena. I found I cared about Lena. Yes. I, I didn't want her to get away with the doll. I didn't want, like she's, and like even that moment when she's saying like no you move like that's a relatable human moment like you know you're in a space people come to it that space start doing things that in 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 whatever society that space is supposed to be used for is not ne necessarily what you're supposed to be doing but there's also no authority there so you're kind of fucked like yeah. yes that's a bit of a like haha but like you know as you learn about Lena through the past, especially through, um, uh, we haven't even brought up young Lena yet. Uh, Jesse, Jesse, Buckley. Jesse, Jesse Buckley, whom again, uh, I'm thinking of ending things. What am I absolute? I want uh, her to play me in the movie. What do you guys think? Done. I, I can see it. Yeah. Although yeah. I gotta be honest with you. Uh, and, and this is, this will sound like I'm, I'm, uh, kissing your ass here, but you do look <laughs> younger than her. Oh my God. Thank you. <laughs> like, I, like I, I would say that like, whatever. Yeah, you do look younger than her. That's... I'm gonna look up her age right now. I promise you, I think I'm double her age. This but... is this is great content for our audio listeners. <laughs> yeah. No, they can imagine. Everyone listening, imagine that what you hear says is true. I'm not saying that to, to like. I, I just don't cut this part, you guys. No, no, this is in. This is staying in. Um, but to that point, um, I think. This movie, this is going to sound strange. So I'm the only one of the three of us that does not have children. And I have always been uh, a very, and also I'm getting older. So this is, this is, you know, uh, you know, decisions have to be made at a certain point. But the, um, I go back and forth whether or not I want children. I, uh, I'm always like, you know what? If it happens, then it happens and I'll be happy with it. And if it doesn't, I'll be happy with it and whatever. And I gotta say, watching Lena go through what she did is the, is again, A, the element I don't see talked about a lot in mainstream media, but you know it's real and you know it's true even based on, not even like this movie or what happened with these fictitious characters and these fictitious children and like whatever, but like pe kids have bad upbringings, therefore there are bad parents who decide to do things like this or worse or slightly better, like whatever, like that happens, but you just don't hear about it outside of like, I don't know, extremes in certain thrillers that turn people, you know, whatever, it doesn't matter. Yeah. My, my point being, I walked away from this movie, and I think it's funny, I think I forgive a lot of the ending stuff that doesn't quite land, and we will get to that uh, specifically, because I was still stuck with the internal question of like, oh man, Lena's just uh I I'm not I'm not rooting for her. She is a bad person. There's a very good chance I could do the exact same thing. Like, and there's there's it's it's not even a chance, like it's that fear, right? Like from from a from a person that has not had that experience, you see people with loving families and kids and etc. And then you see something like this and you're like, oh shit, there's another side of this coin that is possible. 
Yeah. And not many movies do that. Like you, you, you sort of latch on to other characters in other situations, sure, but not ones that you could see like, oh, by the way, here's a dark timeline you could experience. <laughs> like, like, you know, like, well, so that, that stuck with me throughout, throughout this movie, I think. And I, and I, I thought about that more than the ending, which I do want to talk about because <laughs> that's an interesting thing as well. Did you guys see, there's a movie, I just recently saw it, um, I think maybe on Netflix too. You know who Ben Mendelsohn is? He's mm-hmm. this yes, incredible of course. actor. Australian actor, amazing. Yep. He's in that movie. I'm going to look it up and tell you because he plays a bad father. Okay. Um, and it's such a different spin. I mean, it's a very different movie in many, many ways. It's an adaptation oh, of the book. Um, I, I, uh, there, was a, he, there was a movie he was in last year. Sentence, like I, blah, blah, blah. Hold on, yeah. I'm going to look up. Yeah. Um, at, at, at any rate. Uh, it's an interesting juxtaposition. I was just what you got me thinking about, Matt, is sort of the. Um, oh. I, first of all, I don't think that that's how it would go for you. Um, I, I appreciate that, but you know, oh, yeah, it's well, just, I, mean, I could see you stealing the doll, but the rest of it probably not. What are you talking like about? A, as I like clutch a, this plush, a Guardians of the Galaxy and figurine, you would steal. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but, but I just mean in terms of um, men versus women and fathers versus mothers. I, yeah, I, and I'm not. Um, I can't purport to. No, say no, you're, you're, father. you're. I'm glad you actually articulated it because you're 100% correct, which is that my experience as a father is that I am offered much more leeway in terms right. of like not knowing how to be a parent than my wife they, is. When they're babies, they literally feed off of yeah. their mother's body. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you are physically attached. I, I might have liked to see that, by the way, her nursing. Just, I mean, I guess you can't have everything in, in yeah. a movie. Um, yeah. But, but like, you feel like. Oh my god! Like there are people sucking, yeah, the life out of me, um, yeah. at some moments, and um, and I think that's what you see her experience that the Jesse Buckley stuff. And by the way, I thought she was phenomenal yes. um, as the younger version of of Olivia Coleman's character, as the and, older uh, version of you, as the older version yeah. of you. <laughs> oh my god, you guys! I love you. Can I come on? She's <laughs> um, just wonderful. Like I want to see her and everything, but it was so nuanced. And so she was so, you could see how, um, you know, sexy and smart and exciting she was as a woman. And then, you know, when you're at home alone with children, you're not an exciting, you're, you're, you're there for sustenance and support and like a very simple, basic, like, um, survival purposes. Um, I remember feeling when I had small children at home that that the loneliest that being with babies is is lonelier than being alone. Yeah. Um, because they need things and there's no one there to even acknowledge that you're just giving everything. Um, and I say that I'm crazy about my kids. Uh, and by the way, an interesting thing about the movie is she loves the kids. Like yeah. she comes back because she misses them. But what she says about it, I don't want to jump ahead. No, no, no go ahead. We're, we're already ahead. Yeah. But she says, she, and again, I don't remember what the line is, but she said, like basically someone asked her why she came back to them. And she says, because I'm selfish and I mm. miss them. It's about her. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because being a parent isn't about you. It's not supposed to be. It's supposed to be about them. Yeah. There, there's, there's two things I think you want to touch on, and, and I, I want to touch on in terms of what you said. Again, uh, the the leeway that a fa- well that my my experience of fatherhood has been is that again I am offered so much more. I, the, the, Societally, the, that is sadly a hundred percent. The 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 curve on which I am graved is, graded is much steeper, uh, much less steep than my right. wife is, yeah. uh, which is that. 
Uh, you know, I am often forgiven for like not feeding my kids in time. If I'm at the park and they get into a dangerous situation, they're like, oh, he's just a dad being a dad kind of thing. And that is not the circumstances with which uh, either my wife experiences the world or is kind of uh, uh, societally reinforced for her. And I, 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 you know, I wouldn't want to speak for everybody. I would say that that's fairly universally true is that a father's role is, is there's much more forgiveness for our, for our mistakes. Um, the, the second thing is, is, uh, that you want that you touched upon, which is that this idea that you're the loneliest when you are with your kids. Um, I see, and, I feel guilty that I even said that. I know you, cause the parental guilt is like eternal as well. That, yeah. That's the thing. I, you, I, I love my child. I love my son. And I like, like there, you, you do it all because there are these nuggets of moments that mean <laughs> more than the, than than the sum total of every moment in your life. You know, like it, like yes. a, a couple of days ago, my son, the first time ever he, he handed me an envelope and it was, it was just some scribbles like that had no words on it. And he says, this is, I love you daddy. And you're the best. And I was like, <laughs> this is the greatest moment of my life at this moment. You know, like this is the, this is better than any moment I've ever had. And this is like wow. now framed on my wall. And it's literally just a bunch of lines scribbled on a piece of paper. <laughs> um, He's never done that before. So I'm, I feel like something, the, the tide is turning for old dad. That's here. right. Oh, yeah. Oh, Melissa, my, you don't my know kid this. always so, goes out of his way to tell me he does not like yeah, me. Yeah. Shahir's kid <laughs> tells Shahir that she doesn't like him all the time. So all the this time. Is Without a doubt. Amazing. It's all changing now. <laughs> but, but then I have these moments, which is that, like, okay, so you, I'm with my child, and then, like, it's this this like relentless, I have to entertain him. I have to look after him. I have to. Relentless is the word. It's a great yeah. word. And, and I, again, I, it, I think it, it's a magnitude of 10 times, you know, more that for my wife, but when you want to be alone, like there's this moment where you kind of like, when everyone leaves the house or something like that, and you're just by yourself and you're like, this is shifts kiss. The greatest feeling in the world is to not have this responsibility for a moment. And just to like, think about like me and the things I want. And like, and, and the, you see that, I think you see this moment in movies a lot, which is that like. As soon as everyone's out the door, I'm like in my pajamas, scoffing down ice cream, you know, like, you know, <laughs> like watching, watching, tele, watching the dumbest television possible, uh, even if it's only for 30 minutes is like, I just need this moment in my life. And for uh, Lita in this film, this, this retreat is supposed to be akin to that. Uh, again, because she's, you know, away on vacation and, uh, you know, like even, I think even, uh, six year old Ed Harris sauntering onto the scene. And again, Ed Harris looks amazing in this movie. I was like, Maggie, Maggie Gyllenhaal just knows how to photograph men at like all stages of their lives. So they look amazing, <laughs> but Ed Harris truly is uh, remarkable looking in this movie. But can we talk about the, Ed, by the way, the, the Ben Mendelsohn movie is called The Land of Steady Habits. And it would be for okay. people who haven't seen this, an interesting double feature with this okay. because it's about a bad father is a, yeah. is a very oversimplified. Air quotes. Yeah. Yeah. But also led by an incredible actor who you could watch do anything. So, um, oh, Ed Harris, that was a, that didn't go where I thought it was going to go. Like, didn't you think there was going to now be a love story in the thing? I, the I, I love that how he, he was kind of like, you know, basically insinuating that yeah you're on vacation i'm did he uh, want to sleep with her and then yeah. she and she didn't and then she did and he did i like i was confusing but, but then i love as, the, as romance is i i, I love the, the scene where he comes over and with a you know with a freshly caught squid and cooks it for her and then they have this conversation about their respective families and what i loved about that is that that these were two older people that have just lived lives you know that they've lived mm -hmm. long lives and just have stories to tell and it's not about 
it's not about um, physical intimacy, but it's just like, I've just got, you know, like these things that happen and here's someone else, you know, but like she kind of made a move on him later. She makes a move on him, but I love how humiliating that move it's is. It's like a you know, mistake like, in her head. Yeah. Yeah. At, at, at like the bar. She goes out with the young guy and nothing happened. I mean, well, she. So, yeah. On, on right. that note, sorry to j- jump in there. The, the, the <clears throat> I really liked and respected the not everything is a hookup moment relationship things in this movie. Like yeah. you, you, you lead to that point and yeah, it could go there with either uh, the young dude or Ed Harris or, or wh- whomever. Right. But like it doesn't. And it's another thing. It, it's, it's another layer of the, here's a part of life you don't see in films. Like sometimes. Yeah. You, 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 like there's a, there's a moment of closeness that doesn't go to that place or, you know, later in life, perhaps maybe that level of closeness, bringing that squid over and like having a dinner or like whatever, like does result in an intimacy of sorts, but not a physical one. Like, mm. I think, I think movies oftentimes, because it's, it's more, uh, you get more, I don't know, visual bang for your buck or it's, it, it can maybe when things are more intense or more clean, when they happen, you can get that too. But they often skip these things that like, yeah, these happen too. These are things that humans go through that they, they don't always just end up fucking at the end because that's how it goes. I think I interpreted it differently. Okay. I, I, I think I interpreted it at, like, I thought she wanted, I think some of what she's feeling in the movie speaking as a middle-aged woman, in spite of the fact that I'm so much younger than Jessica. So much younger, of course, of course. So much younger. Um, <laughs> she feels invisible. And yeah. I think like, when they ask her to move her chair, she's staking out like, fuck you, I'm not invisible. Mm. Like, I matter. And part of for women to feel visible is to feel attractive. And I feel like she tries, I felt like she wanted, when she had dinner with a young guy, I felt like she wanted something to happen. And then to come to find that he's sleeping with Dakota Johnson, spoiler, yeah. that... I mean, he's in a different, he's on a different playing field. With him, him, I wish they showed, I wish they showed that moment. The reason why I read it the way I did was I wish that there was a moment where either she made a move kind of like she did on Ed Harris and then got embarrassed or like there, you saw a moment of wires being crossed, but you never did. There was like a lovely sort of together and the, and the, and the turn point at the date with the young man was when instead of like having it be about them, it's about the family and like, oh, don't fuck with them. They're bad people. And then it just jumps away. And I was like, oh, so the romance isn't the point there. Like, it's funny we bring to it what we, you yeah, know. Yeah. And, and for me, the thing about that scene was I was just, again, in, 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 in edge of my seat fear about the Ed Harris discovering the doll. Uh, which was sitting outside on a uh, on a bench, and I was like, "Oh, you got to get rid of that doll!" Because you know, like, she's sort of dealing. You know, she the, the the major stake in the movie is the discovery of the doll, and then when Olivia Coleman has it, she treats it with a kind of flippancy in her house, which is that it's just on display. You know, like I think at one point Dakota Johnson comes to the house, and the doll is like nearby and it's I was like so stressed oh, about that yeah i was so stressed about this doll the entire way through um and even when she finally delivers the doll to dakota johnson's character i was kind of like okay all you have to say is i found it on the beach and i cleaned it up for you but instead she tells her the the most revealing truth about herself which is i took the doll and and i'm not and and i think this to me is the key line in the movie i'm not a natural mother and I thought that this line was so, um, so, s- such a difficult line to like, and the film earns this line like the entire way through. Um, I, you know, look, 
Dakota Johnson's, uh, we should say her character's name by the name, Nina, her yeah. response to this and the hat pin uh, is quite a, quite a moment. And, and, and like you said, Melissa, um, the, the extent to which her family, who's apparently a wealthy Queens, possibly uh, criminal family, yeah. the way they stick up signs looking for this doll, you're kind of like, come on guys. Like, you know, we've all had kids who've lost dolls. But, but I think for me, again, the thing about it in, in all aspects of this movie was even if there was a moment I didn't quite understand or didn't relate to, I felt what was so powerful and effective about the movie was the movie was really saying, okay, even if you don't understand this, please try to put yourself in a position where you can have empathy for the characters who do understand this and do commit these actions. So Olivia Coleman kind of leaving that doll out while for me is like unconscionable um, because, because that's the, the, the thing for her, it, it, it's like part of her, I, I read it as part of her wants to be caught with the doll or doesn't care if it's the doll is power. Found. Yeah. It's a powerful moment for her because it is, it's, it's a sense of like reclaiming what is something that she lost when she, when she left her child for those three years, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. this is, you know, and she sleeps with the doll and kind of imagines that, that world where she didn't leave her child. That was um, my question to actually both of you. Why, yeah. why do you think, and you kind of answered this, but just is more like a, in a clear way from the, uh, or like, uh, it's more like the one sentence answer of this question. Why do you think Lita set, told Nina, oh, I took it. I'm not a good mother. Like, what? why do you think in that moment, or even the leaving out of the doll, like, what do you think the internal character motivation of that action is? It's funny, and analyzing it now in the context of the movie, really thinking about it, I think I have a different answer. At okay. the time when I was watching it, I felt like she felt guilty and just wanted to like let it out mm -hmm. and tell the truth. But now I'm wondering in the context of the chair and the fact that she takes it, if she's not asserting her relevance and her power, like I'm at, by the way, I, I created this whole situation. She's not being arrogant about it, but I do, there is a, a part of me that views her character as someone who feels invisible and irrelevant and taking the doll puts herself in the middle of the story in a way. She caused the thing. Like, yeah. I, 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 uh, I, I don't sure. disagree with yeah. the reading by the way, but I, 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 the way I interpreted it is, is something that related to what you said, which is that she feels invisible. And if you think of the way that Peter Sarsgaard is seductive to her, maybe inadvertently, is that he recognizes the beauty of her work he in a way that her. probably nobody else does and celebrates it on stage in front of other people. And, and to the extent that it also humiliates the person, uh, yeah. like the, the person in power above her, her yeah. professor, who is like, in a way, humiliated that, that you know, his underling is now uh, being recognized in a way that, you know, he probably wouldn't do. Um, so I think I, I think to that extent it's it's about being seen, mm -hmm. and and that's why it's such an aphrodisiac for her because even when they're being intimate together, uh, Sazgad's character is kind of telling her how much her writing means to him, and and she's a young academic, and he's a he's a rock star, and he, you know it's it's almost like that uh, the scene in uh, A Star Is Born where um, uh, Bradley Cooper's character is telling Lady Gaga how good a singer she is, yeah, uh, despite the you know so I think I think that's really what's powerful about it, but also but to me. A, the reason she took the doll is purely selfish. She saw an opportunity uh, to, to, you know, like to reconnect with that time in a child's life where this thing is precious to them. And mm -hmm. this thing is representative of 
that child's um, affections, their desires, the things that they want, you know, like what matters to the child most is this doll. And now she has it, you know, which is again, this, this, this time in her life that she, uh, that she lost. Um, but I think at that moment as well, she is also recognizing that, um, the character of Nina, Dakota Johnson, who's having an affair with, um, with Paul Meskel's character, by the way, everyone should watch normal people. It's great. Paul Meskel is in mm. that. He's, he's amazing. Um, she is recognizing that there is, uh, at least, a, a sort of sense of recognition between her and Nina, because Nina is also going through the same experience of like being with a child, loving your child, but also feeling suffocated and feeling like there is no escape from this child. Mm -hmm. And, and when she recognizes that Dakota Johnson is having an affair, in fact, Nina's character is asking her to use her apartment to have this affair. I think she's hoping that this thing that she has un not spoken about, like she, she really has not talked about the fact that she doesn't feel like she's a natural mother. She feels like there's an opportunity here to air something with someone who might recognize what she, what she means and understands what she means that I am, I don't, you know, like, you know, the, the, the story of motherhood is always like, it's natural and, and you, you know, it'll all make sense to you. And no matter how hard it is, it'll always work. What if it doesn't? You know, like, what if it doesn't work? I, I, the, 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 I, I don't know if either of you saw this, but I read the book and then watched the movie, uh, Lionel Shriver's book. We need to talk about Kevin, which, uh, Oh God. Yes. Yeah. And in you that have Tilda on the brain today, what's that? You have Tilda Swinton on the brain. I do have Tilda Swinton. <laughs> I, you know, to be honest, I always have Tilda Swinton on the brain. She's awesome. Um, uh, I, I can also recommend movie. I love that movie. And I love because I, I what I love about that movie is Lionel Shriver, I believe, as far as I understand, ha hasn't had children. So it was kind of controversial that she had written a book about the rejection or, or the difficulty of having a child, especially the one of the difficulty of having a child that does the most horrific thing. And the entire first act of that movie is this mother played by Tilda Swinton, who doesn't know how to be a mother and is always waiting for that moment when motherhood makes sense and it never happens. And so there's this, I, I, I think what's happening with Olivia Coleman in, in this moment is that she recognizes that there might be somebody else who feels that. And the doll thing, you know, even though it's sort of like outwardly weird and strange and an unusual thing to do, maybe Nina will understand. Maybe. And of course she doesn't. Well, I, so this is both, <laughs> it all depends on the read, a credit to the film for trying to have so many sort of different takes. Like, I think they they actively, I think uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal actively like tries to throw at the viewer all of these different takes that we've sort of said about why the thing is happening. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really interesting because then us as viewers can glom on to the bit that we're like, ah, yeah, because of this, this makes sense. Or even after, like Melissa, like you said, after looking at it in a more academic sort of thinking about how the film was made and why, you can change your thought process. The thing that I think and I've never seen a film do both of these things at the same time, and I don't think this one does either, is it does make you, when you have a thing that's sort of as open and nebulous as this in the meeting, you'll start trying to make, at least I do, start trying to make sense of things based on the information you've seen, and slowly you can pick it apart more than you normally would if there was an actual, like, take, air quotes, going forward. For instance, mm -hmm. like, I was like, oh, like when you finally figure out that like it was because of the difficulty that uh, Lena was having with her kids, like, and maybe he she saw 
Like, I didn't know if she was being vindictive in the beginning, right? Like, oh, she saw Nina with this kind of somewhat perfect life before she realized it wasn't perfect, etc. And she's like, no, 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 I'm going to make this woman feel like what I felt because, like, you know, whatever. And then I was like, okay, wait, no, that's not it. Yeah. And then I, like, I, uh, then when she sort of kept it throughout and they became kind of sort of friends, I was like, well, then why are you doing this if it's not... Are you are you setting yourself up to be punished again for something you've done? Like and like there was just so many different ways that none of them tied together. Granted, it helps from a I will glom onto this, but the second you start like trying to write down all the things and go through them, that's when it can start crumbling a little bit. Like I I'm finding, and this is not a slight to the movie. Everyone should go check out the movie. I'm finding my internal and like awesome meter is slightly trickling down the more we're talking about it. Not that the conversation is bad. The conversation is now better than the movie, in my opinion. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Like, like it's just, there's an interesting sort of thing when dealing with things that are so nebulous as this. I think, I have to say, I mean, I would almost take it the opposite way. I think a movie that can create a conversation like this mm. among people who have, like, very different experiences of this thing that is the subject of the movie. Um, you know, a, someone who's not a parent, someone who is a father and someone who's a mother. I, I, it's like, it says so much about the art that it's like provoking this. But I will say I was sort of vexed and knowing that I was going to come into this conversation about like, who is the lost daughter? Mm. Oh, yeah. So many lost daughters. But, but I think when she here was talking, something hit me, which is, you know, when you become a mother, you're not, you're still a daughter, but now you're but a you're mother. you're not, yeah. That's who you are now. Your life yeah. is now about these other people. And so who's lost is who you were. Yeah. And Lita is the lost daughter and Nina is the lost daughter. And they're both trying to recapture it in some way, either by stealing a doll or having sex with um, that. I mean, the ice pop guy. Yeah. So, you know, the lost daughter is a mother, is a mother. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think I read it that way as well as that that um, Olivia Coleman's character is the lost daughter, and it's, it's I think you're right, which is that it's it, it's not the it's not a literal interpretation, but it's it's a metaphorical that your your life transforms so dramatically, and it's it's not even the the timing changes, the lack of sleep, the the sort of um, the enforced schedule that you suddenly go onto. It's this idea that the identity that you once had lived and built up your entire life is suddenly irrelevant. You know, like, it just doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter anymore what you thought you wanted to be. This is my chair. Yeah, exactly. And, like, when the kid, you know, like, hits Jesse Buckley's character in the head, I was like, I'd be... And the look that Jesse Buckley gives her, which is, like, how dare you hit me? But also, there's nothing I can do about this other than, like, try to raise my voice and, like, have some authority in the situation. There's a scene where Jesse Buckley's masturbating and the little yeah. girls come in. Walks in, yeah, yeah. Like, you're not a sexual person anymore. No, you're a not mother. At all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because um, I think as well for mothers, <laughs> the 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 change in the value of your breasts is like dramatic. Yeah. It's like, well, it's just like I have to say, I would have pitched a nursing seat. You would have pitched the nursing scene. It makes sense as well because it's so fundamental to like the process of motherhood. And then like, you know, um, I think the, in, in uh, we need to talk about Kipping, there's a whole thing about like breastfeeding and what happens when the child doesn't take it and all this stuff. Um, but I, I actually am with you on this, Melissa, which is that I love, A, I was riveted by the actual experience of watching the movie. And I, I also had the experience that I think both of you are talking about, which is that you were, I was perplexed by, what had happened and, I, and and my initial gut reaction was the acceleration of um 
lost doll to a fear in apartment to uh, here's the doll to stabbing did feel like it needed more more time. However, Can we talk about the hat pin? Well, Can we talk about the hat pin? We'll get back to the hat. Well, okay. I felt that I felt in the moment of watching the movie that that there was an acceleration of events that felt uh, in a movie that I felt was perfectly paced. Uh, you know, those last few beats felt like they came very, very quickly. And I was struggling to keep up with the sort of emotional journey that got us to stabbing uh, Olivia Coleman and, and were inconsequential in a weird way, not in a not in a not in a meaning way, but in a physicality of what happens in the world way. Well, mm-hmm. there is a difference, in, and I so there is a difference in the novel versus the the film adaptation in terms of what happens at the end. And oh. uh, as far as I can tell, um, and this is coming from a Bustle article, um, um, in 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 the book's ending, um, the Lita's Lita may eventually have died, or it's, it's left to a question mark. But she also goes to a hospital, and she t- and she informs the somehow it gets back to her kids that she has died, even though she's lives on. So she basically then takes the idea of um, of of you know fully detaching herself from her previous life into into a new extreme, almost in a sort of talented Mr. Ripley kind of scenario, something oh. like that. Huh. Uh, the, it's it's it the the book is very um, metaphorical, so like I'm probably reading too much literal interpretation, and I haven't read the book. I'm reading just Wikipedia entries on it, by the way. What I actually liked about the ending here um, was that there was a part of me that dreaded the thought of Lita dying or Lita, you know, like of of this being the sum totality of our experience of her, and that death was the only way out. So when she ends up on the beach and she cuts the snake, you know, cuts the oranges like a snake, like her kids like as she's talking to her kids, there's a part of me that kind of just like rejoiced in the idea that she had this moment of like wanting to leave her kids and she did leave her kids. And then, but she's still, she's still kind of like fighting and still around and still, still, you know, like she's still moving forward. But why the stabbing? What, why did Nina Johnson's character stab it? I, no, look, no, 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 no. In, in the in the structure of the script. Nina Johnson. Dakota Johnson. <laughs> no, Nina, Nina Johnson. Yeah, Nina. Uh, Nailed into the character. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, like, why Why did that? Because, like. In the moment, why did she stab? Why no, no. Stab it's not even, I want to know structurally. With I mean, we have a, a, a an excellent uh, screenwriter on, on the podcast. I want to know, actually, Melissa, why do you think? Because I, I don't know. This is the one part of the movie where I'm like, why is this in it? Like, because in my head, I was like, Nina could have just as easily said something so, like, there's so many powerful lines in this movie. She could have said something hyper powerful that is the perfect sort of in in Lita's head that sends her, like, frantically, like, driving in, 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 in a fit of whatever, then crashing, waking up on the beach, peeling the thing, calling the thing. Like, because to me, she's bleeding out. Like, and so I'm like, but now she's okay after sleeping on a beach for eight hours. And I don't know. What, what do you think? Why do you think that was there? It's a great question. Um, it's hard to, and it's hard to put myself in someone else's head. Of course, and I don't. I don't want to put you on the well, spot. No, no, no. I, yeah. I think. I mean, listen. I think the structure of the movie is she, it opens with her dying on a beach, which is great. It's a mystery, and you need her to somehow get stabbed. <laughs> right. Um, and, and I think that you know, it's interesting that Nina. She she perceives that she has a connection with Nina, 
But when Nina learns who she really is, she completely rejects her. Nina is perhaps speaking for the world saying, yes, motherhood is difficult, but like, fuck you. You yeah. don't do this. You don't hurt other people. Yeah. You are selfish, you know? And so it's, I mean, killing someone is obviously the ultimate manifestation of rage. Yeah. Um, it, it felt a little, it came out of left field a little bit. It, and by the way, I kind of like that. That yeah. was the thing about the movie is like, she doesn't, she, I'm sorry about Maggie Gyllenhaal, um, both as the screenwriter and the director, doesn't explain why yeah. people are doing the things they're doing. And they do kind of, I mean, in the same way that Dakota Johnson's character seems to have this perfect life and then you see her having an affair. Um, you know, she just kind of acted out. She's, it's impulsive. And I have, have, I have a theory too on, yeah. on, on the one connective thread that I was like, oh, this is why she gets stabbed. It's not the stabbing in general. Yeah. It is that she uses the hat pin to stab her. Because the, the hat, hat pin, pin she was given to the by... hat pin is a thing that Lita taught Nina. Oh, you, you know, it's so much easier if you just do this thing with your hat and you do the thing here. You know, and, the, and like this, it's a moment of connection. Yeah. Yes. And then and then when okay. when Nina realized what had happened and who Lita actually is, the the strongest type of rejection would be to take that thing and yeah. use it as a weapon against her. That's really interesting. I hadn't read the moment where Lita fixes her hat with a hat pin this way at the time, but it's almost a maternal gesture. Yeah, it's a, yeah. It's a maternal thing, yeah. And it's almost like if 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 Lita's now saying, like, I'm not a good mother, this is the quintessential, like, yup. Like, <laughs> so maybe that's what it, I don't know. she's dead at the end? Wait, what? What? Lita, at the end of the movie. I, I didn't mean to jump ahead from the hat No, pin. wait, you, I don't. I, I didn't read her as, as she was dead at the end. Oh, or... okay. Yeah, go on that. Okay. Go. So she's on the beach at the end, and she's peeling the orange the way. But where did the orange come from, guys? Fair, fair, fair. Oh, shit, because they were all rotted and shit in the in the apartment. There's no oranges. She's stabbed. She's stabbed. She struggles to get out. Oh, of the she's fucking dead. So I have to take give credit. My friend Angela Workman on Twitter and I were messaging about the movie afterwards, and her sister came up with the theory. Um I... You have credit that that Lita's dead, but then I was like, "Oh my God, right? She, the orange calling her children, all of that." Well, I'll put it this way: if we do interpret her as dead at the end, um, there's something very interesting in the fact that the moment that her soul goes back to is that beautiful moment with her daughters with the orange. Of all the things that happen in her life, she's not on the beach thinking about giving a great speech or having an affair with Peter Sarsgaard, which are awesome moments. But the motherhood. Yeah. It's the moment to hear where you got the note from your son. Yeah. Um, yeah. What does that say? If she but again, I don't I, I assumed after that was after that theory was posited, posited to me, it seemed so that, clearly more sense than what I thought that I'm like, oh, and my I God. think that, that would tie closer into the book as well. I I I will need some time to and probably a revisit of the film to kind of okay. fully digest that as a potential because I, I just did not read it as well, where's the orange come from? I won't but, but I don't you, need time. You, I'm in. I, I'm a hundred percent in. Everything I, I is connected concede, now. I That's concede. a lie though. And I, I yeah. didn't think of it. Wow. Yeah. I, I think I think that's a that's a, a really good read. I again I'm not hundred percent there just yet, but I, I will I will definitely Angela's want sister. to revisit it. If the oranges weren't rotted, like cause you see the bowl of oranges right. in the thing and all oh, of them were disgusting and rotted, and then she all of a sudden has a perfect or yeah, she's dead. She's dead. Oh I I don't know if she's 
did. She's I, dead I, here. But I, I think regardless Cannon. of whether she's dead or alive, she is reconnecting with this part of her childhood, right? Like that's one thing we can kind of well, with re- reconnect with this one part of her children's upbringing that matters to her. And I think we can all agree on that side of it, right? Yeah, regardless also of whether she's, she's dead, dead or alive. Yeah. Um, I, well, I, 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 dead or alive. We also have to talk about Bon Jovi before we finish. But okay. I, <laughs> no, that's how we should wrap up. Well, because we, we could talk about there's two there's two artistic references in the movie. One is John Bon Jovi's uh, "Living on a Prayer," and the other is W. H. Auden's uh, "Crisis," which is the the poem that she is uh, she is translating throughout, and the poem that she teaches her kids. And I I dug out this poem in in preparation for this, and it's it it is a poem about the oncoming um, invasion. Uh, w. H. Auden wrote it at the at the onset of World War. Two, I believe. Well, I could be wrong about that. Hmm. Some poetry majors and 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 book readers are gonna like call me out on this episode. That's right. Email us in onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com <laughs> to get Shahir's dates right. Uh, but I but I I I brought up this line um, from the poem, which is because I again I think Auden was talking about um, uh, the invading forces uh, and trying to humanize them. But I, when I read this in the context of having seen the movie. This felt very much to me uh, a poem about a mother talking about the terror of having a child or the terror of your child, um, which is, I'll, I'll read it here in my in my best Auden voice. Mm. But uh, where do they come from, those whom we so much dread, as on our dearest location falls the chill of their crooked wing and endangers, their melting f- uh, friend, the aqueduct, the flower, terrible presences that the pond reflect back at the famous and who, when the blonde boy bites eagerly into the shining apple, emerge in their shocking fury and we realize the woods are deaf and the sky nurses no one and we awake and these like farmers have purpose and knowledge but towards us their hate is directed and i i just Jesus. i yeah th- that is the poem that she is teaching her child uh, in italian perfect uh, and i i i just i read that as this like fear you know like there's this thing we don't speak about which is that your kids are monstrous at times, you know, your kids are terrifying. You know, you love your kids and, mm-hmm. and you will do anything for your kids. But at the same time, fuck them kids. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, they're assholes. Yeah, they're assholes. They're complete assholes. And they're assholes who came from you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but living on a prayer, later. again, Ed Harris, like, wins my vote as 60th man alive, you know, like, without a doubt. Like, he, he should, he should, uh, they, they shouldn't have that competition every year if he's on screen. But, but, uh, this scene of living on a prayer and this mo, this again, this moment when she, she has at this dance. And I, I think, you know, coming back to this question of like why Nina does it, I think there is a lot set up in this movie, both from Will's character, both from Ed Harris's character, that, that Nina's family is dangerous in some way and we should be wary of what they will and will not do. You know, like everyone is cautious around this family. So uh, while I agree with you, the stabbing did feel kind of out of left field for me. I was also felt like I was set up enough to go, this is a possibility. Well, no, no, no. The po- let me, this was before the dead, uh, the scenario that Melissa just brought up. <laughs> I was never shocked that Nina stabbed Lita. Like, because right. that's built up. Family dangerous. Don't fuck with them. Then mm-hmm. she does, and she gets shanked. That was, like, the act was never like, well, that came out of left. No, they've set up that they're dangerous. I was wondering what purpose that moment was. Because other because th- if, honestly, if Lita is not dead at the end of the movie, then the stabbing means nothing. 
But if she is, but if she is uh, dead, I don't. I don't know about that. I I felt like the stabbing. This has been my TED talk. Thank you. Yeah. For coming. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, and maybe this is just me as well. I also I I think about uh, what is the the what is the Shakespeare play of the pound of flesh? The uh, oh, Merchant uh, of Venice. Yeah. yeah, Merchant of Venice, and and the the sort of sacrifice one makes for uh, one's lives. You know, I don't know. I, I I don't think it's directly relate. You know, there's no reference to it in this film. But when when someone stabs with a hat pin in that particular part of the you know side of the body, I just think of that the. The sacrifice that is made in order to to, to live one's life. Um, I mean, there could but, be reference to that too, but I, I, there's no. I, I don't think there's any external reference to that in the movie. I th- that's just where my brain goes when someone gets stabbed in the side. Mm. Sure, you know. Um, uh, but but I think you know. Again, what I do love about this movie is the fact that even if we don't know exactly the journey that the film has took us on. Mm there is enough in the movie for us to for for that is being asked of the audience to go on that journey and i think that journey is fulfilling regardless of what how we thought it turned out and like like we all said we've all had different interpretations of what's happened here but i still love that there are different interpretations of what happened and i don't you know i don't want to describe that mine is correct or anything like that it's just that you know like i think there's so much to this film and i think it explores so much in terms of that unspoken side of motherhood. And, I, and again, it's devastating that, that Coleman's character leader says this line, I'm not a natural mother. And it's like, it feels like it's this thing that she has not said her entire life. Right. Like, like she's, th- there's been all these actions kind of, you know, that have happened because of it. It's the reason she had an affair. It's the reason she left her children. It's the reason she like takes the doll. It's the reason for everything. And she, and I don't think she's had, the, I, I don't think she's ever said it out loud. Like I, I felt like this was the first time she's ever said it out loud. And she felt mm-hmm. like she was saying it to someone who might understand it, but totally doesn't. Um, I, I, so I love the movie for those reasons. I, that'll probably be my final thoughts on the movie, but uh, just putting it out there. I, I, I love that everyone's having a different reading of it. Yeah. yeah. Melissa, do you want to take us home with fi- final thoughts? I, I mean, I, it's hard to have anything to add. I loved the film visually. I loved that there was, I mean, to the Bon Jovi of all, like there was like a moment of, of unadulterated joy mm. in the middle of the movie showing what life can mean to this character. Um, I loved I loved how unapologetic it was. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, everybody, you should check it out. It, it, it definitely, uh, and ta- this is one of those ones where I suggest watching and like maybe sitting down, not even with your, necessarily with your friends, but like making sure everyone has watched it and then sitting down and be like, okay. This is a great book club movie. This is a great yeah. book club movie. I had yeah. a lot of different text chains going, so, like an actor on my show. Like we were all. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody said they wanted to watch it again, which is yeah. it's not short. Yeah. No, it is not. It's, uh, but it, it's a little bit slow. But again, I think that plays to its strengths. Um, anyway. Hey, everyone. This has been the only podcast about the film The Lost Daughter. Uh, Melissa, thank you so much for coming back on the show. This was awesome. Thank you. Fun to be back. Where can folks find you uh, across the interwebs and all of your works? Oh, um, I'm on Twitter at Melissa Hilfers. They can find me there. All right. Perfect. And you have a show coming hopefully in September, but probably we'll be seeing more of your work. Definitely in September. Yeah. Definitely in September. Not jinxing it at all. Uh, (laughs) Shahir, when you are not... 
uh, undulating between the monsters that you have created, uh, either in the uh, fits of rage or wonderful scribbles hanging on your wall. Where can folks find you? I should post that that picture on the internet and see if anyone can decipher my son's scribbles, which they can't. Uh, but you could try to translate, uh, as Lita does in this film, uh, my website at www.shahirdad.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D.com. Matt, when you are learning the intricate art of stabbing people with uh, knitting needles, where can people find you? Uh, it's like it's fencing, but more deadly. Uh, it's a hat pin, Shahir, yeah, sorry. Uh, and I only stab people specifically with hat pins at my website, M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com for my life and works, which also, side note, I talk about my website every week on this podcast. I haven't updated that since like 2008. I don't know why I send people there. <laughs> does, it even, does it even exist? It exists. I just renewed for $15 the, the domain, so it's there, but like, <laughs> if you want to see my work on Wild and Out and Guy Code, go for it. Otherwise, you can check me out uh, on YouTube at extra credits please check out the good works we're doing over there we are by the time this drops uh we will be doing uh ooh coming up that's what i'll say on the wednesday after this drops we are doing a so you haven't read on pride and prejudice which is a phenomenal sort of deep dive into into that book and then we are starting a extra history series the following saturday on the history of the empire of brazil which is fucking nuts so please go check that stuff out uh, oh, and you can get me on Twitter, Emperor MSK, and on Instagram, uh, and PSN at Skeletor4Prez, P-R-E-Z. Um, next week! I have no idea. We, we are building up to our top ten at some point, but there's. Uh, I'm glad we did The Lost Order first, because there is still a bunch of movies that from 2020 that we haven't done that I think we, we need to do before we can safely do our top ten in a way that is meaningful. Melissa, we made this arbitrary rule that we are now just following because we hate ourselves about we can't have a top ten. It has to be movies we've reviewed have to be in our top ten, so we end up not doing our top ten of the year till like April to catch up on all the movie like. Well, that's okay. That's when the award shows give them yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. That, well, yeah. thank you. Okay, fair. Yeah, it's just, it, it always feels silly, but when you say that, I I guess it makes sense. Um, See, anyway, Melissa, one line from you, and he's and he's. Uh, you he's, have uh, turned me around like five times <laughs> in this in this podcast. I've been trying to convince him about this for years, and he just took one line, and he and he did it. You're welcome. Shahir, you are not a natural convincer. I am um, not a natural. We, we will talk at you next week. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.